The following big interview was posted in full for our socios, our members, our friends, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And that was last season, 2019-20. Sign up there and you'll get every interview we produce before it's released on the main feed, plus the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You'll also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. And what's more, you'll be supporting us. You'll be keeping this independent podcast on the road. Thank you. When it comes to the big interview, one of the great privileges is that I get to invite people I like. Now, that isn't program sellers often, or pie sellers, or kit men. It's often footballers, managers. And in this instance, you've been watching Michael Richards on Sky or on Match of the Day since, I don't know, 2006, 7, 8, and you're still seeing him on those shows now because, sadly, an excellent career was truncated by injury. However, what he's proved is that he's exceptional at analysing football, talking about the sport he loves on television, and therefore we asked him to join us in the big interview. And our guest was, of course, a Premier League winner with Manchester City. Now, he's popular in what he does. The range of football shows where he's popping up indicate that television thinks he's great. You're about to hear a remarkable inside account of the making of England's champions in 2012, starring, who else? Roberto Mancini, Mario Balotelli, Manchester United, and Micah himself. Micah Richards. (laughs) First of all, um, thank you very much getting out of your scratcher early this morning, driving <laughs> south, coming here and, and putting up with us. <laughs> thank you for this beautiful tea. Well, thanks, thanks for uh, putting up with me. Now we've, got, <laughs> now we've got more important subjects than transporting tea to speak about. When you, everybody in their lives, mm-hmm. literally, well, everybody that we respect and might listen to this, aims for something, usually aims to be good at something, the best at something, or to triumph. You're a champion of England. You're you're a winner. Um, Even though, you know, it's now a couple of weekends ago that that mad moment happened, how many times in a week or in a month, or when you wake up, or when you've had a awful day, or when you wake up and you pull the curtains and the sun's shining and you just go, yeah... 92nd minute and 30 seconds in Kunim. What's the abiding feeling of having reached the epitome of what you started to do? How, how does it stay with you? Does it manifest itself? Or, or is it just like only when some idiot let me ask you about it that it comes to the surface again? No, we, we, because I'm now in media, uh, I get asked it probably every week. Right. What, what was that moment like? Mm-hmm. It, it was difficult for me because it was a, it was a bittersweet moment in, in terms of I played all the season and I picked up a hamstring injury. Mm. So Zabaleta came in and was doing really well. So the last five games, I didn't actually start. I always came on and 
if there was one game I wanted to play was that the final game against QPR um, and because Mancini didn't want to change a winning side and I was his number one choice throughout the season it was difficult for me to take but then it was a moment when we went behind against QPR it was we're in this together you know what I mean it's a team game it's not put all your, your personal accolades aside and your personal feelings aside because we're in this together um, and people always ask me it's different for me because when you're playing with the likes of David, David Silva Yaya Torre company it's sort of in their destiny you know they, they were like natural talents if you, if you know what I mean they was always going to make it to the top no matter, as long as I stayed on the straight and narrow mm-hmm. whereas I come through the academy and when Mancini came in he didn't really know I mean, he, knew, he knew my name because I played for England and whatnot, but I wasn't a star player so I had to almost work twice as hard to show him what I could do so for me to, to then go and lift the Premier League you know and being at Man City since I was 14 it may it, it's like the, the best feeling in the world and, and some people try brush it aside like well you was in a good team but I had to work so hard to to just stay amongst that squad so for me it, it it will mean a lot more what was the process of convincing him like because it's obvious you would rely on you know you look at him and I say oh my God, I know what I do well do what you do well but presumably you have to size him up you have to listen to him he has to take a little look at you and what we're used to learning about um, when you unwrap professional sport a little bit there's always crazy little moments of one kind or another because after all it's all people mm-hmm. so Mancini comes in and you go okay and there are others who will immediately uh, shove in the first team from him I've got to convince him what was that process mutually like between him and you it, it was difficult at the start because he, he had his favourites Balotelli was a, his, his favourite and he used to get away with murder you know I've said it time after time but what people don't understand about Balotelli he was one of the nicest per- people ever and Mancini saw that me and him got on really well um, so he thought alright let's see how this plays out mm-hmm. And it was the initial friendship with Mario which allowed me to get in with Mancini, if you know what I mean. So he helped me massively. I, I remember talking to Balotelli all the time. He said the, 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 the manager really thinks you're a, you're a nice guy because I, I, I am. I just, I just get on with my business. I don't really get involved with politics and stuff like that. I just, I just say it how it is. I work hard in training. If you like me, you like me. If you don't, then, you know. But it was... You know, I, I owe a lot to, to Balotelli for, for sort of smoothing over that relationship because at the start, I, I don't think Mancini rated me, if, if I was being totally honest. He thought I had good attributes, but I don't think he thought I could turn into a, a, a world-class performer. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to say world-class, because world-class to me, you know, I think of Ronaldinho, Ronaldo and all, and all them sort of players. So I don't class myself world-class, but in that season... I performed world, you know, at the world class level. In my opinion, not saying I was world class, and it was all done to Mario Balotelli. Micah, in these podcasts, I don't often talk about hair 
or hairstyles, and you can see why. <laughs> it doesn't really, really work for me. I mean, I feel like non-drivers can opine about Formula One, you know, and just because I've opted for a different look. But it does kind of leave me a little... I mean, this is turning into a sub-story, but there's a lot of hair products I can't speak about. Do <laughs> you hear me? And I don't know if you already know where I'm going, but you and Mario adopted the same barber. Because <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about a certain 6-1 game. And in that game, the two of you have got just what looks like, a, I don't know if it's a little hedgehog here, Arturo Vidal's nicked it off here, did, did you do it for each other? What was it? You used to call it the Mohawk, didn't we? Did. Or Mohican. Everyone used to call us twins, although I was a better looking twin. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he listens to Mario, so you might want to just say, I'm kidding, mate, or whatever. I'm not Chabelle. Or... Um, and it, in, that, in, in, in that era, it was just a fashionable thing, and we both just, just ran with it. Um, was it about speed? No, it was, well, it, it, I was quick enough. I was quicker than him, so maybe he was using it for speed, but I, <laughs> I was quick enough anyway. But yeah, we just... He had some crazy hairstyles. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one or two, maybe three. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we just, you know, we, we was only young then. I think, how old was I then? 23? Yeah. I think he was 21 yeah. around that time. Yeah. So you're going through that stage where, you, you know, you're trying different hairstyles, but I, w- I wouldn't wear that now. Today. Life's got to be a laugh. <laughs> if, you, if you're doing everything else seriously, like which you must have done training and your attitude to work, as you said... <laughs> Life's got to be a laugh on it. Yeah. When you, when you find the... Sorry, go back here again. When you find the fringes, you, you've got to have a laugh. But you, there's a picture in my mind because if, if, if you're all right with it and you like him, yeah. can we stop a little bit and try and tell people... It, just paint Balotelli a little bit more as a, as a picture because I obviously don't, don't know him particularly well, but I've had a couple of lucky experiences in that he came to do a, a big show for... I'm sure it was Nike um, in Barcelona. And we got an invite. And the idea was that to launch these new boots, there was a massive, it was a sort of factory. There was a massive wall, but they'd made it a sort of tactile wall so that the, the ball would hit it and it would interact. There were certain things that would... So there was Marco Royce, World Cup winner, Borussia Dortmund, exceptional footballer. There was Cesc Fabregas, World Cup winner, exceptional footballer. Thierry Henry was the host. Blah, blah, it's the same thing, World Cup winner, exceptional footballer. He wasn't really supposed to join in because he was hosting, but he did join in. And there was Mario. And they had about five tasks. And it literally was, it was an interactive, for example, one was you had to bend, you had to do a little dribble and bend the ball and knock bricks out of the wall for points. But there were four or five drills like that that would be done at pace and it was competitive. And of course they were there for the money and the there, but you were footballers. The instant that it's on, everybody's walled on the set. Now I'm on too. And Mario Balotelli won every drill by a street. And in my opinion, people remember him first probably for unrealised potential. Secondly, for japes. Thirdly, for powerful goals. But that fella was, to my eye, was, had enormous skill too. He was incredible, one of the most talented footballers I've, I've ever played with. I feel, feel a little bit sorry for, for Mario at times because he doesn't help himself on one hand, but the, the, the other hand, he's had a tough upbringing, you know, obviously he was adopted. Um, and that, 
you know, I've, I've got friends who are adopted as well, and, and they tell me, like, you know, they think about it every day. It plays on their mind. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with, with Mario, I think he's going through things that people don't really know about, and he's getting judged upon that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, he's got to take responsibility himself as well and try not to put himself in these positions because, yeah, he's underachieved massively because he's one of the, like I said, one of the best I've I've ever played with. But I feel like if there's ever a blame, he's always the one that gets it rightly or wrongly because, like you said, the the tasks that he did there, we would do that in training every single day. And I think some managers just found it frustrating that he wouldn't always show it on the pitch mm-hmm. but we all see what he can do we see what he did in the, in the Euros he gets one assist at Man City that helps us win the league um, he scores some terrific goals at AC Milan um, he did well in his first spell in, in France as well and then it sort of petered out when him and Vieira didn't see ITI at mm. Nice and you know he's back home in his in his hometown of Brescia now and he's, he's, he's actually scored a few important goals as well but I just feel like he's he doesn't know how to play his cards right, if you know what I mean, because he's so powerful and social media is so powerful now. Anything that he does is going to be taken out of context. It's iconic and, and not so funny for those of us who sympathise with him and who'd love to have seen... I mean, not everybody can reach their full potential, so let's... You know, I'm not being an idiot, but it would be nice to have seen... You know, I think maybe we've seen a 60% so far in his career of Mario Balotelli across everything. If we could have seen 80, 85%, then we'd still be talking about, we'd all be talking about a genuinely exceptional footballer. But it was in that game that I'm going to come to in a minute, um, 6-1, where, where you win at Old Trafford, where that's famously where he does why always me. So when he did that, you understood what he was saying, I guess, that day, or I don't know if you helped him plan it. No, he, him and the kit man, Les Chapman, planned that. Um, themselves, they didn't tell anyone about it. But I remember there was some trouble at the, the team hotel. Can't go into to detail for legal reasons, but Balotelli didn't even have nothing to do with it, mm. and he got blamed mm. for it. Do you know mm. what I mean? I mean, it was just a reoccurring theme, time after time. And he felt no matter how hard he trained, no matter how well he performed, he was going to get tarnished with this brush anyway. And you know, with a celebration, that's what it meant. You know. No matter what I do, it's, it's always it's always him. You're a hard worker. You're an honest man, and you you excelled in your football career. There's, there's no two questions about it. No two ways about it. And. You said you were friendly with him, that you liked each other, that was a feeling. Did, did, was there a small part of the solidity your friendship gave him, or even just working together day to day? Is that partly why some of the best football we've seen from Mario came at City? I just think I... Whenever I was doing an interview, or I would always try to protect him because I knew what the real Mario was like. And all, all he needs is someone who... You know, he did so well, not... Not maybe because of, of me with the friendship, because Mancini believed in his ability. You know, when you've got a manager who believes in you, you, you know, you can do what you want in, mm-hmm. in, in the game. You know, people would, you know, outside of Man City would say, oh, he shouldn't be playing, he shouldn't... Don't forget, we had strong strike force, Aguero, Tevez, 
Dzeko and Balotelli as well at the same so he couldn't play every game but that that season he made huge impact and I'd say it wasn't down to more, more me I think it was down to more Mancini um, but Mancini was just brutally honest with him but it was like his, it was like his son as well because Mancini is not an ordinary football man in my opinion by any means <laughs> he was also for those who Listen to this and only remember him as a manager. I'm old enough to have seen him as a player. And he was off the scale good. Off the scale. And people thought Totti was brilliant. Mancini was, in all honesty, he didn't play for as long, but he was twice the player. Really? Mancini was off the scale. Just wow. like a football Rolls Royce, but with a sort of Ferrari brain, elegant too. And they won the <clears throat> title at uh, Samp, uh, him and Viali. They, they ripped Italian football apart and played in a different style because... They were coming from an era which was much more cautious and much more percentage, mm-hmm. and, and they weren't like that at all. And yeah, he's turned out to be a really interesting manager, but also a very stubborn, very opinionated man too. He's not your normal football man, I don't think. No, I being brutally honest, <coughs> there was half the change room that loved him and half the change room that, that hated him, and I think that's probably why he left in the end because I, I, I think. He'd, he'd lost the, the, the changing room. I loved him. I, I, I loved how brutally honest he was with me. I, I loved how, how long he spent on the, the training ground with me. He was a perfectionist. It's difficult now because the, 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 the modern player, you have to put your arm around a lot more. Whereas old school, I had Stuart Pearce. He was hard as nails. He'd tell you straight, you know. And for some reason, I reacted better to, to managers who would just tell me how it is. Do you know what I mean? Don't sugarcoat it. But Mancini sort of fell out with the wrong players in the dressing room. And I think that was the reason, you know, they couldn't see eye to eye in the end. Because, he, like you said, he's is, he is opinionated. He's a perfectionist. He would be in at six o'clock in the morning and sometimes not leave till 11 o'clock until he was happy. But I love that about a manager because he's willing to go to, to places that other managers won't go to like let's let's have it right Mancini bought a trophy to, 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 to Man City and it took 40 years he's the first manager to do that FA Cup the next season Premier League and we can talk about Pellegrini we could talk about Pep Guardiola in terms of his style of football he plays and you know winning back to back titles but you know we was up against Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson you know top top managers and Mancini to come over here and do that it, it, like you know, you said at the start, then you know how important it was to win a Premier League for a player. But arguably, he's done something greater than the, what any any player's done because he's up against top top managers in one of the the hardest leagues, and that's why he has my full support whenever speaking about him. And I know he was a I know he was a difficult character, mm-hmm. but. It works for some players and it doesn't work for others. What were the detailed things he, he did that helped you, that made you appreciate him? Tactically, because in, in England, when I first come through, I started as a striker at 11, then I was a centre midfielder till 14, and I was only became a defender when I was 16 mm-hmm. um, because someone got injured in the Youth Cup. So positioning-wise, I, I, you know, I was playing for the first team at seven, 17, so I didn't know nothing about defensive tactics and all that stuff. So a lot of people used to say to me, 
oh, that Richards is good, but he's always out of position. I was like, well, I've never played in this position before. I'm, I was just learning as I was going. And I sort of got thrown into the deep end because of my physical attributes. And as soon as Mancini came in, he said, you can, you can cross the ball. You know, you can, you, you can get up and down. You're quite fit. You can defend one-on-one. But tactically, you, you're nowhere near where you're supposed to be for a player who wants to be at the top level. And at first, as a player, you're like, what are you talking about? I've been playing in the Premier League since 17. I know it all. I know. And then he, he, showed, he showed me, well, look at this video. Why is your body position in this? Nah, in, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, Detail. Yeah. Why, is, why is your body position there? Why, why, why are you not supporting the play? Like, you, you, you don't have your rest there. Have your rest further up the field the, the way we want to press. If we're playing three at the back, this is where you need to be. And all these little things were, which I took for granted as a, as a youngster. If I would have had Mancini mm-hmm. from 18... Mm-hmm. I probably would have 56, and I, and I didn't have no injur- injuries. Yeah. Take, take out my knee equation. I probably would have had 50, 60 caps for England because I would have, he made me such, uh, such a better player. All these things that I got away with with other managers because I was just physically better than everyone else. That's what I loved about the, the Italian side because it's tactics. Some say it's boring and you know it's repetitive, but... They do it for a reason. It makes you better. It, make, it makes you better. You have a better chance of earning bigger salaries and lifting more trophies. Then. Exactly that. Yeah, it's worth it. Were you a quick learner? I, I would say so, yes, but maybe not quick enough as some top managers wanted. Like Capello, I was in um, the England squad, 18. I was playing, then Capello came in. Then he dropped me back to the 21s because he said tactically... We don't think you're right, which, you know, at the time you, you say, well, I, I don't agree with you. But then if you look back and, you, you know, you know I, I always look at my opponent and that po- opponent, uh, you know, if I'm up against Glenn Johnson, Carl Walker, whoever it was at the time, Wes Brown, I look, well, well what are they doing? That's better than me. And, and sometimes as a player, you say, well, they're not doing it. You know what I mean? Instead of thinking, well, you just do it and worry about yourself. You know what I mean? And that's... I think that's where players get, get it a little bit wrong in their careers in terms of the worrying about what everyone else is doing rather than fixing what you're supposed to be doing, you know what I mean? And when he dropped me back to the 21s, it, it was tough. But then I think, well, what can I do to, to improve my game? And then obviously when Mancini came in, I, I, I learned quick, but it was different because it was a different style from, obviously... Italian way, Italian league to, to the Premier League, whereas it was just hustle and bustle. Do you, would you agree that compared to the culture then that you grew up in, whereby even though there's a reason why you didn't come through the sort of library boot learning of what a right back should or a centre half should do, positionally, timing of a press, or, I think you hinted that. <laughs> In, in Britain, we weren't great fans of that. Ever since I've been a kid, there have been great defenders who really read the game well. But as a culture, I don't think we put as much emphasis as we see now in England because of changes, because football's so available, you can watch anything, Why Scout is there, whatever other kit people have. Continental managers and players have come here. We're looking at a different landscape now, completely in England, than the one you grew up in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I still think it's still not there yet because when I when I was coming through, it was the bigger and stronger you are, the better. That was it. It was nothing to do with tactics or technique. We're going to sign the the big lags and try um, improve them. 
Now I think it's gone a little bit too much where teams are trying to play out from the back too much. You know, they're trying to be... If, if a player's not comfortable on the ball, then you can't play that. You know, it needs to be taught from, from, a, from a young age. And they are trying that. But now I think what they're missing is big, strong centre-half just coming and, and headering it. So I think they need a little bit of, of both. So a lot of players, I agree with your point, a lot of players who now could go play in different leagues because they're more comfortable on the ball and they can play out from the back. But I think sometimes that, that one-on-one defending has gone out the game in England still as well. Now everyone's more concerned with their full-backs you know, playing as wingers. And sometimes, you know, if you look at Liverpool, two of the, the best um, full-backs in the league, Robertson and, and Trent Alexander, he... He gets run by probably two or three times a game. But if the opposition don't score, it's just forgotten because he made two or six or, or score a goal. You know what I mean? So it depends as well what team you're in. Mm. But the coaching has definitely improved from when I was, when it was just big and strong and let's kick it long. Now people are, are, try, are, are trying to play out from the back and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of more... British players being able to go and play abroad. I think that's right, and it enthuses me a lot. Because, you know, even as a Scot, I'm kind of tired of England, a great football nation, for so long not really being a threat of winning a trophy. I'm going to take to the streets and celebrate when England win a trophy, but I will be quite pleased. <laughs> even as a Scot, I'd like, no, I'd like to see players I know, often who I've met and liked, but players who I appreciate watching binding together and winning a trophy and it, and it you know it should come I, I want I don't know if it's unwillingly but I want to drag you back to the season at which you became a champion of England it doesn't sound so bad when I say it <laughs> I feel there's a legitimate it's, reason it's got a nice ring to it hasn't it there you go it does <laughs> even for me I've got goosebumps and everything listen everybody, everybody loved watching it there's a couple of things I want to draw your opinion on because you know City United is a big thing People would argue, and, and you were born in Birmingham, you grew up in, in Leeds, and, but you were here pretty early, so you kind of know the city quite well. You spent a big chunk of your, your working life here. So United-Liverpool is a big thing, and City-Liverpool wasn't for a long time, and, and then it became so, because your two seasons, you've touched on something that Neil and I have been preparing this, because yeah, honestly, we, we do prepare a little bit. <laughs> you might not seem it. We, we thought the splitting the atom moment probably wasn't the money coming in, or actually Mancini arriving, or even Sonny Davids. Probably the splitting the atom moment is that, is that cut run and winning. Now, if I'm not wrong, I haven't got my note here, but I think you scored the winner in the quarterfinal against Reading. Reading, correct, yeah. Um, I mean, just a snapshot, because I haven't looked at it. How's the goal? It was a, uh, from a corner, a header. We won that 1-0. Like journalistic vice is a brilliant soaring header. Would you? Well, yeah, you can, you can, you can say that. I'll let's take that. Just, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, just, let's just leave it at that. Then you don't play the semi against United. Hamstring injury. Every time. I just feel like in my career, every time mm. I got going to my top level, injury would, would, would stop me from then propelling to, to, the, to the next level. Because you're straight back in for the final. In a team that reads Hart, Michael Richards, Vinnie Company. Collar of Jolian, who was here earlier on, uh, Gareth Barry, David Silva, Nigel de Jong, who tried to take his boot straight into Chabi Alonso Chester <laughs> exactly a year before I was there. Yaya Toure, who could play a little bit, Carlos Tevez, 
could play two Balotelli. It's a hell of a side. It's only one nil against Tony Pulis at Stoke, but it's the Wembley feeling. I presume you had friends and family there. And also, irrespective of it being a smaller winning margin than some would have imagined against a difficult side, not a side anywhere near as really man-for-man as talented as yours, but even beyond the cup lift or a medal, actually winning is something that infuses, I, th- I think, your attitude, your behaviour, your level of training the next season, your ex- expectations for, OK, most players go, OK, where do we go next? Mm-hmm. Not That's enough. Mm-hmm. Tell me some of those feelings, or, or if I'm wrong, or what did that feel like? It, it felt so, so good because we, we hadn't won a trophy for so long, so no, no matter what happened once the investment come in, we was the first ones to win the FA Cup and to win the Premier League and it, it was the, the emotions were I can't describe them it was it was just it was like a roller coaster where you know you're supposed to beat Stoke in the final but you, you don't you don't know if it's going to happen and, until it does you look at you, you know you look to, to, to you've got Vincent Company, you know to, to my left you've got Jolene Lescott you've got Kolarov you got silver yard, and you're just like, we need to, we need to win this game. Like I'm, uh, I never get nervous before any games, ever. But this game, I was nervous, and the the, the derbies, I, I was always nervous because I knew how much it, how much it meant. And it was the game was like it was played in slow motion, mm. and it's like, you just want you, you want it to end, you want it to end as soon as possible, just so you you, you can see. The outcome, whether you, whether you win or lose, you just want it to be over. It's not it's not an enjoyable feeling. No. Leading up to the game is is horrible. Like the, the night before, you don't sleep. You, you know you 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 you're playing things in your head that you, you know you want the outcome to be. You think in worst case, you, you overthink everything. And then when you lift it, I think Matt, uh, Balotelli got man of the match in that game. It was it was absolutely incredible. And after after it, when when you're up there and and. And I, I'm not really emotional guy in terms of wanting to cry. I, I'm more just more happy, mm. if you know what I mean. But you know, that night I cried because it was like all that you, all that I've worked for, had, had mm. finally come come together. But ten minutes after I cried, I was like, I want more. I want more. When, when, what can we do now? That was a genuine, real, real inside Real you. feeling. What, what, can we, what can we do now? And I'm not just saying this is real emotions. Like, I want, I want, I want to win it every year. Or what's next? Can we win the Premier League? And that, that FA Cup moment spurred us on to go win the league the next day. Pre-season, we was in LA. We had like a, a, a team sort of bonding. We was out. We was out till three o'clock in the morning, probably three times. Drinking, enjoying it, and we, we said we had like a group huddle, and we said, "Lads, we're going to need everyone together because we need to win the league this year." You know, no matter how it's going to be ups and downs. People are not going to play. You know, you're not going to play as much as you want, but make sure we win the league this year. And if we wouldn't have gone to LA in that pre-season, I don't think it would because it we, it brought us together. You know, pe- you know, like it's in the change rooms. So you got 25 players. Me and you might be best friends, but me and someone over there, we might not like each other because we're in the same position or we don't like that personality. But that LA trip galvanised the squad 
and it's like we've, we've, we've won something now what can we do that's going to be greater than that and the only thing that was going to be greater than winning the first trophy was winning the Premier League I do hope you enjoyed that big interview, which was first released as an exclusive to our socios, our members who support us. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day they're available, it's time for you to join us. To become a socio, and for only £2.99 per month, you'll get all our content entirely ad-free and ahead of its release on the main feed. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast and we'll blow virtual kisses towards you. Thank you.